think you've got COVID fatigue? Well, just listen to what life's like on America's West Coast. California is closing down again. I don't think history is to look back uh, forgivingly upon the United States and Americans for uh, going down this road. California once led the way in curbing the spread of the coronavirus. Now the state has become a hotspot for COVID-19. Some of the biggest fires the West Coast has ever witnessed. Raging now for three weeks. The plume has been sent up into the sky eight or nine miles. It's creating its own weather. When I came around the bend, everything was on fire. Entire hillsides. The scale and the sheer number of them pushing firefighters to their limits. The president never downplayed the virus. Once again, the president expressed calm. I don't want people to be frightened. The president was serious about this when Democrats were pursuing their sham impeachment. I don't want to create panic, and uh, certainly I'm not going to uh, drive uh, this country or the world into a frenzy. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, I'm dialing into Oakland, California with my sister Jodie and her husband Kevin. And if raging fires, soaring temperatures, the pandemic, a summer of riots and protests and a rogue president aren't enough, they're just getting over a hair-raising 16-hour round trip to Oregon to see their son Harley. Well, first of all, we had these really, really bizarre, um, how many weeks ago was it? This lightning, it was just crazy. All day and all night, this really strange lightning. And of course, it was really, really dry. And that ignited a whole lot of the fires. And we had this last year, and I thought, you know, it was very depressing and and really claustrophobic. You had to stay inside and and your chest just felt terrible. But I thought it would have stopped by two weeks. But it's almost, it's got worse. The numbers have just got higher and higher. And, you know, the day we left for Bend, it was so bad that the skies turn orange. It's an eerie, eerie feeling. We all woke up and had that unexpected orange sky, bright, bright orange, and it was dark. One of my friends called it the apocalyptic Trump orange. <laughs> but um, And there's just ash everywhere. There's ash all over the garden, the front lawn, and we're breathing all of this in. So why did you decide to go up to Ben? Were, were the fires up there already? We had planned to go up to see uh, Harley, our, our oldest son, because it was his birthday. And we also thought, OK, you know, Oregon, you know, where he lives in central Oregon is beautiful. You know, it's kind of high desert surrounded by these volcanic mountains. It's, it's usually pristine. We go up there and go hiking, kayaking, stuff like that. So we were like, okay, great. Let's get away from the bad air here, drive up to Oregon, see him for his birthday. And it turned out that basically just a couple days before we left, there was a bunch of fires Yeah, north of Portland. What made these fires so lethal and record-breaking was the high winds that came with them accelerating their frightening, destructive passage through vast areas of this state. And honestly, we weren't even really paying attention to it because there's so much going on here. It really didn't even make the news. And it wasn't until the day before we left that we're like, oh, gosh, it could be worse up there. Mm. And well, that- we, didn't, we didn't think it was going to be worse. We still thought the air would be much better. So what, you packed the car and was driving the only option? You couldn't fly up there? 
you can fly, but it's pretty expensive, and then you don't have a car when you're up there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you know, you're in an enclosed area with a whole bunch of people in the plane. And just going off um, what my friends say about um, flying, you think it's going to be okay, but then the person next to you doesn't wear their mask properly. I was in the East Coast visiting my dad who was ill, so I had to fly. You're supposed to wear a mask, but they'll let you take it off if you if you're eating. So this guy like nursed a salad for six hours back on the flight, <laughs> sitting next to me, you know, because I was like, dude, just finish your lettuce and put your mask back on. Well, it's just like people who are Trumpers, it's their civil liberty at stake and they won't wear the masks. And so when people ask them to wear the masks, they get into these big fights with you about it. So it's it's quite an antagonistic situation when somebody pulls the mask down. So you got in the car. When did you start seeing the fires? Was it right from the beginning, as soon as you started on the trip? No, that, that was the kind of weird thing. As we were going up there, we it wasn't too bad. And we left about th- two or three in the afternoon because I had to finish the school. So by the time we got to the Oregon border, it was starting to get dark. And then we're about an hour into Oregon. We stopped for dinner. We had to argue because we had to circle back to find Kentucky Fried Chicken. We lost half an hour for that. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of like nine o'clock at night, and we're heading out into the countryside. And all we saw was you know trucks on the side of the road, like they were pulling over to stop for the night. And we kind of thought that was odd. And then traffic stopped. We kind of thought it was a fire, but we didn't really know. And then once they started letting us through, we saw a sign that said, wildfire ahead, expect delays. And then, then we, we started We just thought it would be some piddly little fire because there was no way they would let traffic through if, it, if there was huge fires. Hmm. But there was. <laughs> really? <laughs> then it was like, oh, my God. Yeah, then you start seeing the flames, and you see the flames on the other side of the road, and they're – you know, they're all over and you're thinking, I just want to get out of here. You know, that was, it was scary. And we were having to drive really, really slowly and just seemed to go on and on. And the flames just kept on going along both sides of us. I mean, it was just kind of unbelievable that we were driving beside the sort of the enormity of the flames. It was just incredible. You were trapped in front and behind traffic going, you know, what was it, about five or ten miles an hour, it was really scary because you didn't know whether the flames were going to jump over you or what was going to happen. Tens of thousands of people are still under evacuation orders in Oregon. Air quality alerts are on and forecasters say relief from the blanket of smog hanging over parts of the West Coast may not come until October. And then when you got there... The air was even worse than in San Francisco or in Oakland. Well, initially the first day, so Bend was probably another two hours drive north of the fire. And the first day it wasn't too bad. In fact, we went on a hike in the mountains. We started off and it was fine. And then about an hour into it, the uh, the air started getting really smoky and we're like we better turn around and by the time we got to the car the weather had changed dramatically yeah it completely closed in on us and then we could barely sleep and we woke up in the morning and we couldn't see out the backyard or anything of the airbnb that we had 
And then we looked it up and it was 527. That's the air quality index. But just to put it in perspective, like the two cities that people mostly talk about when they talk about bad air is New Delhi and Mexico City. And they usually sit at about 160. So this is 527. And you can just feel it in your throat and your eyes are just streaming. It's just an incredible thing. And the silence was amazing because there were no birds. I don't think they knew to get up. There was no sound from the birds that morning. And so what did you do? We kind of looked on the map and it seemed like there was a town 45 minutes away where the air quality was better. It was just exactly the same. So, um, you know, we turned around, went home, um, barbecued some tri- chicken and drank some wine. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, watched, we pretty much watched The Office for three days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and then hopped in the car and drove back another eight hours. That was but our that, mini break. It's say. kind of, you, you would think you would just like go into your phone and find all the information, but in fact... All this really weird stuff is happening because just yesterday in Santa Cruz, which is a beach down from us, and they were sort of saying, well, we were waiting for the emergency siren. We were waiting for the call. And all of a sudden our houses were on fire. So the communication that the fires are just going so quickly, people can't communicate to you, you know, get out. And I've heard predictions that it's going to go on for weeks yet. Yeah, and we're not even at in fire season yet. Well, I'm hearing that firefighters, captains I've been talking to all morning long, are so concerned because it is only September. We have not even had the Santa Ana wind events that cause fires as we get in November and October. So they are concerned that firefighters are just going to flat get burned out. So this could go on for months. So, I mean... You want to come for a visit? Yeah, I, I can't wait to get on a plane and come over because... It's, it's, it's been born out, and um, I'll let, let Kevin tell you this, but his cousin has just left town for Boise, Idaho. Yeah, that was kind of funny. My cousins lived here for a long time, and, and they, they just decided in the summer, let's, it's time to get out of California, and they sold their house, and they moved to Idaho, and the mover said that just in August, he'd already moved 12 people from the Bay Area to Idaho. But he's basically just driving his truck back and forth. People are, <laughs> are wow. getting out. Yeah. But, I mean, there's so many people that are saying, I can't stand it anymore. And even Gavin Newsom is saying, this is our new normal. This is not just going to be happening this year. It's going to be next year and the year after as well. And people are sort of considering, well, why would I want to stay in California where it's so expensive, well, especially the Bay Area where it's so expensive. And it's a real shame because I think in some ways, some people were getting used to COVID, like restaurateurs were partitioning off the outside so they could seat quite a few people outside. So they were sort of getting the hang of it. And then this came along with the fires and everything was built on the fact that you have to sit outside. So now nobody can sit outside. So the restaurateurs have taken a couple of steps backwards. Uh, There's predictions that like half the restaurants in San Francisco could be gone permanently. We've got COVID fatigue here, but you've got all these other things that are going on. A rogue president and the whole control of COVID seems to be 
well, not controlled. It's we have no plan. We have absolutely no plan. Uh, it's just a, it's in a mess. Even in California, which, you know, I, we talked to you the, in the spring, and we were sort of hopeful that California was on top of it. We were the first area to go in lockdown in the states. But then, everyone looks at New Zealand wistfully because you guys had, you know, you had a plan to deal with it, and we didn't. So the lockdown is just dragged on with no real end in sight, no plan to get out of it. Um, and then every state is different. Every county is different. A lot of kids went off to university, like Jackson went back to university. So did Tallulah. She went to Boston. Jackson went to Wisconsin. And they were already, you know, staying in isolation within their apartments to some degree. And then three of the kids in his apartment Three of the six of the kids got COVID. So they're all stuck together. None of them can go outside for two weeks. And their next door neighbours are getting their groceries for them. And you can imagine six boys in a three-bedroom apartment. For two weeks, they can't go outside. And they have to do all their work. You know, so it's... I mean, things are so bad, they're doing puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> Must be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you've got the wildflowers. And I know that you joked, Jody, and you said now all you need is toads, but it does feel like this very apocalyptic moment in time there. Oh, it totally is. Everyone is what's next. And I think someone said today, an earthquake. And then you've got the president flying into California and saying... It'll start getting cooler. <laughs> I you wish... Just, you just watch. Refuses to link any of this to climate change, you know, it doesn't exist. So nothing's going to be done about any of this. So that all sounds pretty grim, but let's hear what life's like for their youngest, Sai, a teenager who had to stop going to school in March and still isn't back. He's homeschooling, catches up with a few friends, but has no idea when his school will reopen. Distance learning is still pretty uh, tough. I mean, if you're taking hard classes and... I mean, you still got to do the work, but it's more like uh, about like just kind of being disciplined because like if you don't really want, like there's no one forcing you to do the work. And if you want to go downstairs and watch, I mean, most of my classes are like Zoom classes, but like afterwards I can just kind of, if I want to, I can just go downstairs and just not do it. But you kind of have to stay disciplined to be able to do all your assignments and stuff because there are a lot of them. Mm. So it's, it's more about like discipline and kind of just like, not getting distracted because you're in your own house and you kind of have to be your own teacher. And I hear that you're trading in shares. Yeah. Tell me about it. I don't know. Basically just over quarantine. I mean, obviously all like the whole stock market crashed and I was like looking at it before that. And then I basically right after the crash and kind of right after the recovery, I started like babysitting. And so I had a lot of money coming in um, because I do every day. And so I just put that money in the stock market every day and I just started like doing like research and I got pretty into it and yeah. What shares are you interested in? What have you bought? I have, uh, most of mine are in Facebook. I have a lot in Nestle and some like ETFs, which are like stocks that hold a whole bunch of different stocks. So it's kind of like a diversified stock. I have some like stocks that, it's basically a company that's only mission is to find another company to merge with. Yeah, it's kind of complicated to explain. Hey, so are you going to be the next Warren Buffett? 
Yeah, we'll see. You know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like all my friends, like I've kind of gotten in, gotten them into it, and it's yeah. I mean, it's just cool. Do you have a person who does the trading on your behalf, or can you do it directly? I do it by myself. Yeah. Wow, smart stuff. Because you're what? Yeah, you're, you're 16, right? Yeah, I'm 16. I think it's actually pretty good because it teaches you like independence. It's like my money that like I earned. If you make a bad investment or bad trade or whatever it is, you like you're losing the money. So it's kind of like you're kind of taking responsibility for everything. Well, no need to worry about that young family member. But I want to know what the mood's like among Jody and Kevin's friends. Well, it's kind of interesting. I actually said to Kevin today, you know, what, what, what's Trump doing at the moment? Because I knew we were going to talk to you. And he was like, well, let's be honest. We, we don't read anything about Trump anymore. And even my very, very political friends um, who read news all day, as soon as they see his name, they say they don't want to read it. So I think people have almost given up. It's mm. terrible. We were at a barbecue at a friend's house. They had like an outdoor space. We were sitting there last weekend and three separate people said they had never, ever given to a political campaign before, but this time they did. So people are really desperate to get him out. At the same time, you, for your own mental health, you, you just can't in, engage with the stuff he says because it's so callous and cowardly. But people are, you know, on the one hand, they really want him out. On the other hand, they're sort of protecting their own mental health by trying not to, you know, engage with him. But yeah. he, he does have a lot of supporters and they're extremely passionate about him. I mean, they, they treat him like the Lord and Savior. In fact, when we were driving up to through Oregon, they are. It's like there's churches with signs outside saying, God bless you, Trump. He stands strong for America. He is a champion for faith. Welcome the 45th president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. And I'm proud to be an American. I've looked at the Facebook messages to you after your, your trip up to Bend, there's an overwhelming number of people saying, why aren't you coming back to New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I would hop on a plane tomorrow, but the thing is now we've been in Oakland for 20 years and three of the kids live in different places in America and size, even Sai, we could come back with Sai, but he's 16 and so we let him have friends around to the backyard to work out every morning. Um, and he wouldn't have that. And so I don't know if how he would feel about leaving. So, yeah, you've got your life there. Yeah, but by the same token, people are saying all the time, what are you still doing here? Because people feel trapped now. Yeah. They feel really trapped. I mean, they've lost their jobs. Their kids are home all day doing the schooling. It's really boring for the kids. And, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of complaining. I hope it doesn't come across as whinging, you know, because we actually have it a lot better than a lot of people. So what what's the thinking? I mean, just write off 2020 and hope <laughs> that from November things will start getting better. Well, a lot of people, even people that I think are really optimistic, are thinking next year we're going to be in this as well. Because even if there is some sort of vaccine, it won't be available to all of us. It'll only be available to a few, first of all. Mm. And it'll be the sort of trickle-down effect. So a lot of people are like, we're in for the long haul. It could be next year as well. 
I mean, I suppose the optimistic point of view is that it takes a long time to get everyone kind of on board with dealing with these long-term problems like climate change and kind of preparing for health emergencies. So now all the stuff's been made real. I do feel like we could start to, to tackle some of these things. So maybe looking out beyond next year, things could get better if we get some you know change in leadership. One of the strengths, I think, of the country is the fact that we, you know, we've got, it must seem crazy to you guys, right? Because we've got states and then within states, we've got counties and we've got cities and there's just lots of different levels of government. And that can be good because they can experiment with different things and like good ideas can bubble up. Uh, But it's really bad in a situation like this where you need everyone to be on the same page. So, um, it, you know, it's turning out to be what well, I think it is a strength long term, but it's definitely a weakness right now. Everyone's talking about the New Zealanders here and the leaders in New Zealand. And it's like in New Zealand, the message is we're all in this together. Let's help each other. Let's think about each other. Let's be kind. And whereas in America, what my friends say is here it's become, don't you crowd me. I've got my civil liberties. I've got my rights, you know, and it's all it's become all about the individual. Mm. Mm. Right. Is, is there anything good happening? Is there anything? Because <laughs> I won't be coming if there's nothing positive on the horizon. Oh, God. I'm getting really good at making chicken soup. <laughs> Oh, that is a big Size is choosing to eat it now because he's like, I can't have it every week. But I, I'm, uh, I'm refining the recipes. So um, I've stolen some of your mother's tricks and then kind of added my own twists. <laughs> That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to my sister Jodie and her husband Kevin Coldiron and their son Sai. Kakite anō. Mm-hmm.